bought fake plants, so we look like we can take care of plants, but we really can't. I bet your plant has its heart on a leaf. <laughs> Shut up. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Billy? Uh, oh, Billy. you goof. Yeah. What, what does that mean? I don't know. Heart on the sleeve? <laughs> heart on a leaf. Sle- sleeve sounds like leaf. Heart on a leaf. <laughs> oh my god okay wait billy do you have a plant oh my mom has plants i'm at my mom's house right now. oh that's right okay because i feel like one of the core, my childhood home like the beginning to any post-grad experience is to have a succulent oh yeah oh right. we don't take any like we tried to have plants i guess in the course of my last three apartments and it's failed miserably nah, man i've seen the guys you live with that plant's dead on arrival Welcome to the next episode of the Stumble Johns. <laughs> With hey, that intro. Hey. My name is Nick. I'm Andre. And I'm Billy. And our special guest this week is Hi, I'm Liz. Liz. Hi Liz. Liz. Welcome. Hello. Liz Mangan. We are so glad to have you here. That sounded very insincere, Nicholas. You know, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm just trying to be warm and introduce you to our to our audience of people who listen which is a crazy Hi, thing to say yeah we have yeah, um we have my mother and uh my girlfriend that's two yeah. as of recording we have we we the episode came out two days ago so yeah. we're 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 we're, we're fooling. we're like learning how this is going and and we, me i've been listening <laughs> yes liz has also been listening um, i have we welcome feedback <laughs> Yeah, really. Um, wait, so Liz, in the nature of how we introduced ourselves last time on our first pod, mm-hmm. w- could you introduce yourself? Um, so yeah. How you got into this whole thing, where you're going, where you are of now? Course. Of course, of course. Um, my name is Liz Mangan. Um, I am Billy's twin. Um, <laughs> not actually, but in spirit. Um, <laughs> I am a Scorpio. Um, yeah. I, my favorite color is green. My yeah. favorite food is sushi. Um, just some important information. Wait, what um, type of sushi? What type of sushi? Vital. What type of sushi? What kind of sushi? Yeah. I am a big old slut for a good spicy tuna roll. I will yeah. say. I can, yeah. I can't go wrong. <laughs> Billy's like, I can suck with that. You can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Wait, no, wait, no, you guys swore last time, so I'm going to keep on my brand uh, and just talk candidly. <laughs> um, and what was the question? How did I get into theater? Yeah. How'd you get into theater? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this a little earlier today because I got your lovely spreadsheet of uh, topics to consider. Um, And I was actually in a dramaturgical meeting earlier today and I was kind of asked the same question. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is like a great warm up um, prompt for for today. Um, And I think actually the first time I got into theater was like through my mom um, because she would always take me to. Uh, these children's productions um, at um, the University of Connecticut's uh, theater, like the theater on campus, the Jorgensen Theater, um, which was some nice foreshadowing because I ended up going there um, for my undergrad. (laughs) Um, I have a BA in theater from there um, with a focus in playwriting and dramaturgy, um, which is what I do. I guess I didn't say that. I am a playwright and dramaturg. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, And we started going to children's shows there and it was super fun and amazing. And like, I would always get super hype whenever 
they would ask for like participants from the audience. And I would be like, me, me, I want to do it. I want to participate. Um, I also did dance for 10 years. Ever since I was five, I was like that little child who like would rock around in tap shoes, um, <laughs> little tutus and everything. Um, dance into the great ship lollipop, that yeah. good stuff. Um, and I guess that's like what sparked it. Um, I think it's kind of funny because the first time I was ever offered to like be in a show, my mom was like, Hey, they're doing a production of Annie, get your gun. Do you want to be in the chorus? And I was like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> that's awful. Um, cut to, High school, um, I went to a performing arts high school um, for acting. So I guess like that one initial roadblock didn't actually uh, hinder me. I think it was a combination of things. Um, because in middle school, I remember distinctly my seventh grade English teacher, we had this little lunch group where our cafeteria kind of sucked. So instead of going to the cafeteria, we went to her room during lunch and we would watch like Turner classic, like, musicals and from yeah and from there um that's also how i fell in love with cats i will state this on this podcast right now i'm a cat's stan i love it i appreciate it anyone who says differently please contact me directly i will be glad to explain the plot to you Um, (laughs) because there is a plot that i've drunkenly explained many times anyway (laughs) um so she like would show us like all these movies and eventually she saw that we were all hype and she was like hey, do you guys want to, like, do a play? And I went to a science and technology school, so we, like, never did plays or anything. So this is, like, the first play that we had done. And that really, really solidified my love. And like I said, that then led me to go to the Performing Arts High School in Connecticut, um, Greater Hartford Academy of the Arts. And I did that for four years. I was an actor there. Um, And then... I went to UConn for playwriting because while I loved acting, um, I have also always loved writing. Um, when I was really young, I wanted to be a writer actually. Um, but like, you know, things change as your life goes on. So then like when I went to Academy, I thought I wanted to do acting. And eventually when I got to college, I was like, I want to try writing again. Like I miss that. Um, So I focused more on writing and I also found dramaturgy through college, which excited me because that's a way to engage with the play process, playmaking process, um, rehearsal process in such a unique way. Because um, for those of you who don't know, dramaturgy is a very interesting field. Um, I call myself a human encyclopedia Mm -hmm. because (laughs) you're there to help the process in general from the director to the actors. Um, You're there to help research background um, elements of the play and if it's a new play really help guide the playwright um, if they're in the room um, to solidify the themes that they're dealing with and how the story is unfolding um, so I fell in love with that in college as well and now um, I am doing that for an internship while also still um, playwriting on the side so does that track? Is that my journey? Does that sound good? <laughs> I have been I have been taken away, whisked away. Amazing. By your tapestry of words. That was wonderful. Thank you. Well, I, I, I wanted to... Liz, if yeah? you were never in theater, what would you do if you never I found the theater? Billy's favorite Would portion. 100% want to be a chef specifically to oh participate in Chopped because I love Chopped. Nice. And Chopped loves you. 
Weird. I Weird. am just such a fan <laughs> of that show. Yeah, that was kind of yikes, Billy. Um, interesting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would totally be a chef to be on Chopped, or honestly, I would be working for BuzzFeed. That still might happen. You You know, a job I'd always want to do for BuzzFeed is when they hire those BuzzFeed workers to be like to get drunk and then dogs come. Oh my god! Like one of those videos that's on Facebook, and they're getting paid for it, and they're crying, and it's like two p.m., and it's all (gasps) these like blissed out drunk women crying. That's what I want. Um, anyway, so back to Liz. Back to Liz. <laughs> I love that. Um, wait, Liz, I wanted to ask you, um, cause we've, we've seen a lot of your wonderful, um, wonderful writings in action and on the paper. And I'm, I'm curious for you, what sort of, what writing you want to make for the world or what is driving a lot of your storytelling? If there's some sort yeah. of singular thesis or argument, or if it's just collective, um, projects just kind of my artistic statement yes. is that what you're asking me, yes <laughs> well you can check out my new play exchange we love plugging i am on new play exchange y'all <laughs> um i guess like my driving force is um i am a queer woman so i love to tell queer stories um and i don't necessarily focus on aspects like of people grappling with their sexuality. I kind of like to present people who are within their sexuality. So portraying queer people as like just regular queer people. I'm so sorry. Also, if there is like lots of honking in the background, um, that's okay. There are people are reenacting cars outside of my window. Um, Wilson from Disney Pixar's cars. Hello. Wow. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I like to deal with, um, queer characters just living their lives. Mm. Um, I also really like to deal with um, kind of like movement in my writing. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy a naturalistic world that has some sort of magical realism elements every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, not as heightened as someone like Sarah Rule, but I'm getting there. I'm, I'm still, I'm still <laughs> Colton Bay in my style. Yeah, I'm yeah. very, you know, young. I'm still learning, still growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think whenever I write um, a lot of my ideas come from just personal experiences which like shocker groundbreaking um Mm -hmm. but i then try to transform them into like a distant a distanced storyline and whenever i write it's kind of like a shout out to other people like do you also feel this way like does this make sense to you have you also experienced that um because i really like the communal aspect of theater and how one experience can be shared um in unlikely unlikely ways mm-hmm. and by people that you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. so yeah right uh, and, and and speaking for for myself as as you know someone who's been in the room with you as you like workshop your work and like who's gotten to see your process like it's it's always for me been like a real privilege to watch that yeah, watch that be so come to the surface so soon because I feel like you're like you you I, I'm so jealous of your artistic statements. I'm trying to say yeah, Nick <laughs> that you know, but like that you know it like it it seems so authentically you and like it's great to see that come in your work, which like I know and I want to talk about your work eventually sometime in this podcast. Well, Nick, we've got to talk about your work too at some point. Nick is also he's one got of a whole podcast right? for that. Okay, you're the guy. You, you invite, you invite yeah. him on your podcast, and he can. Yeah, do that. Liz, come on. 
But, all right. But there is, I mean, like, speaking of, there's one work that always stands out. There's, I've told you a few, but one that I'm thinking about right now, especially as it pertains to your artistic statement, is um, the one you did uh, called OK. Yes. Yeah. Oh, with, yeah. With uh, the, the bathtub. Yes. Yes. That play absolutely, I think, embodied everything that you're talking about because it's a very singular experience, but we can all say that we've been in a situation similar to that. Yeah. You know, we've all been in that room and those two different characters. I'm not sure how much you've expanded on it since I've seen it or changed it. but It's um, very solidly a one act. Very, oh, it it's is. It's a very solid one act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was killer for me. Also, we've talked Thank about you. this before, um, but Red, Red was blew my yes. mind. Um, could you tell them what Red was about? Well, Andre, it's actually called Eyes and Teeth. Well, uh, Red is another it. great you've play, though. <laughs> <laughs> Red is another fantastic play. Would highly recommend. Um, I know what you mean, Andre. I love you. There's the um, Red Riding Hood one. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, it's called Eyes and Teeth, and that was um, per, a play written for a playwriting class that we took at NTI. Even though I was part of the advanced playwriting program, we still took a playwriting class with the rest of um <laughs> NPI and like the directors and I loved that experience because I mean the playwrights were with each other every single day and we were always reading each other's writing so mm. we it got was, sick of each other <laughs> eventually I was like Nick I don't want to hear another bit of your play no get <laughs> no? out of here get out of here let's hear Andre's play no it was, it was no, really no special Andre. hearing what other people like we're writing about and like other people's styles. I love it. I mean, like even if you don't classify yourself as a playwright, I think it's so fun to just like write a play because yeah. yeah. yeah Eyes and teeth was written um, during that playwriting class. Um, we were given the prompt to adapt red riding hood. That was it point blank. And I um, created a story where red riding hood um, was named little. Um, she is a girl visiting her grandmother in New York because her grandmother is sick. And she is very adamantly like, I hate being treated like a child. I am not a child. I know what I'm doing. I'm not naive. And she goes out clubbing one night, um, and meets a woman there, an older woman, and they have a connection and she is enamored by this woman. So they go back to her apartment and over the course of the night, they have, um, this intimate conversation and it's a really an exploration of the price that people pay if they try to grow up too fast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really fun to be able to participate in that experience with writing it and then seeing the actors and the director tackle it. It was, it was great. Mm. Does it still terrify you when you see your work getting put up or does it ever? Did it? Oh my gosh. I literally don't think I ever breathe during like any reading of mine or like any production. I, okay. The play Andrea had mentioned earlier, um, that play was actually produced at Manhattan repertory theaters, summer one act festival Mm. last year. And every single production, I saw it three times. Um, I I just clutched my chest and like held my breath the entire time. Yeah. Um, because it's like someone speaking your thoughts back at you. Um, really visceral experience. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're also tracking the audience's reaction. It's like one part that you think is funny. If an audience member doesn't laugh, like even if the rest of the audience does, but one doesn't, you're like, what did I do? Like, why didn't you laugh? Like what's wrong? Um, (laughs) 
So yes, I still get very, very scared. Um, but I think it's become more of an excited scared versus like a, I'm going to like vomit and fall on the floor scared. Okay. Good. Yeah. It's, it's watching someone take a piece of your brain and just like throw it under a spotlight for oh, everyone geez. to see. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Well, Liz, I would love for you to join us in the in our in our podcasting adventure as, as we kind of do some segments that we did last week. We would love to have your input on. So I'd love to jump into what have we seen, Billy? Ooh. Oh boy, what have I seen? Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen theater in the last week. But you just closed the show. Yeah, I he did. Andre and I saw it. We did see it. That was going to be um, what might have what I've seen, but Billy, you go ahead first. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, closed the show, um, so that was quite a fun. It kind of just happened. I it was a clo- obviously a closing matinee. I felt like I just woke up, I spawned to the theater, and <laughs> the show was over, and we were toasting on stage with some red wine. Hey. It, like, it feels like it just never happened. Mm. <laughs> that was like my closing day and then it was like wait we're not doing this next week no oh. okay yeah. yeah well yeah i uh liz and i saw it and i was we like a, a proud father um, <laughs> andre and i were literally cheering every time Billy came on yeah. stage yeah. like every joke it was like belly laughs yeah us. yeah we laughed Aww. like because it's sort of like how like my mom didn't would come to my sports games to watch me play and would talk about how good I was, but she would, shouldn't watch the other players that she'd only come to watch her son. It was sort of like yep. that experience as I was like, Billy was amazing. And I was watching Billy the whole time. Yeah. Did, did the seagull change for you by just following Billy's character? Um, <laughs> it was, it was shorter. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there was sort of thing, like, because I know Billy's been growing out a beard for, what is it, seven months? Two years? Uh, no, since, like, late May. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But it, th- that was your, I mean, like, there were certain things, like, about how Billy's physique, how he was, like, crouched over, the way he'd point his hands. Like, you were a very, like, spindly old doctor. Like, <laughs> like actually really, like, physically inhabited it. Um, it also changed my view of is is Masha the character that you're married to? Yeah, that I become married to. Yeah, right. Mm. It changed my view of Masha because she doesn't actually love Billy's character. Oh, um, I apologize for not being able to remember all of Chekhov's character names. Sometimes oh, please don't get muddled in I my mind. There's Masha. There's Masha. There's there's Masha. There's Manya. Maria Ilyichna is her real name. Yes. What's her name? Medvedenko. What's that place? Sonia, Masha, Vanya, and Sp- oh my gosh. Oh, oh, I was in that. I was in that. <laughs> yeah, you were. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I apologize for slaughtering that play title. But it made me view Masha different in the sequel because I was like, how can you not like Billy? <laughs> I know. Billy was by far like had the least issues and just like unapologetically loved her. It was yeah, just, I mean, oh, heartbreaking. Just, uh, you have to give justice to each role. I mean, yeah, I didn't really have much, um, and, and I knew I wasn't really going to have much going in. Uh, this director, his name is James Jennings, over at the American Theater of Actors. He um, 
was going to consider me for a produ- for a show um, later on in the year. And then he calls me out like last minute, like, oh, can you do the seagull? I was like, mm-hmm. uh, sure. Well, and I, and he never told me what I was going to play. And he, I go to the first reading and people are like, Oh, hi, who are you playing? I'm like, I don't know. Is that okay with you? I'm like, yeah, of course. But you should have just told me. <laughs> wow. Well, that's fun. Bill, Billy, can yeah. I ask you a, a question about this? This is kind of, um, sure. Unprompted. I, cause like something that I, have been dealing with a lot lately like we've all been in shows right where we like turn around we exit the curtain we come out and we see for the first time we don't have a big crowd tonight you know like that first feeling yeah and i'm so curious because like there's i'm sure there was some nights was more people than others um oh yeah and there's tights where it's like you might be a packed night the one night and then like maybe six people the next and I'm mm-hmm. so curious, actually, for you especially, but also for everyone talking right now, like, what does that feel like to you as an artist, and how much do you take that in when you notice, oh, this is kind of, there's not as many people here, that, like, first oh shit moment? Yeah, um, uh, I mean, it's, I, I do notice that, um, and, uh, you know, sometimes, yeah, you know, if, if it if it's like a packed house, yeah, it fuels you, of course. Right. Because um, I feel like there's a lot of people watching you be vulnerable, and I'm sure you can act on your nerves and right. stuff like that. And right. that I think that's a positive uh, use for like you know being nervous, having those like butterflies in your stomach, and you know it feels good too. But um, there was one night where it was three people in the audience. Mm. And in, including my dad and then my good, my, my good friend Jackson, uh, and then someone else's friend in the cast. But then that person left second a, uh, after intermission. Mm. And so it was just my dad and Jackson in the crowd. Mm. And we still had another hour and 40 left to go right. in the show. And so it, – it, it, but – uh, everyone was still on their A game. Like right. it was a packed house, and I I knew exactly who was in the audience still, and I still wanted to give you know my dad and my friend a, a good show. Uh, right. I wanted to if if it's one person in the crowd, I'm I'm gonna give it. They they pay it. I'm gonna give them what they pay for. But you know um, that there's, there's like an old adage. Uh, um, that I remember from Amda where it's like, fuck the audience. Like you're doing it like you're, you're, you're doing it for the character. You're, you're becoming this character. Right. You're going to give the best performance. You being the actor, they're, they're just spectators. Don't do it for them. Be natural in the moment. And that's kind of like, you know, whatever. I mean, if there's no audience, the show's canceled, but (laughs) if there's one person, we will give the I, we will all give that one person a show mm-hmm. to talk about, and that's kind of like it, it's doesn't it doesn't matter. I want right. to give that person something to talk about and experience. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I I, am, I I can imagine that being like a like without having that fuel you talked about of like having to draw that fuel from somewhere else. The only place that can really be is like with your other actors and from yourself and like. 
Yeah. There's a, there's a different level of excitement there, for, for me at least. And unfortunately, uh, there was another show going on during the same time we were doing The Seagull in the, at the theater. There, there was another black box nearby, and they had a show each time we went on, but they had to cancel, I think, about four shows because no one came to see them. Oh, that's sad. Oh, my goodness. And, that makes and me I know, sad. And I know yeah. some of these actors who are incredible actors – and it like it broke my heart. Yeah. It just it it like broke my heart that everyone. I appreciated the people coming out to see us, but then it's kind of like, hey, you guys are also missing, you know, a great show next door. I can't see it because I'm doing this show, but you know, <laughs> these guys are your local theater, and they're amazing. But like, um, they had to cancel. Like, if some of them would come back to the dressing room because we sort of shared almost like a backstage space sort of uh mm-hmm. with their with their black box and they'll just be like with, with their backpacks on like saying all right bye guys it's like what mm-hmm. don't you guys have a show now oh my goodness yeah oh. it's really sad and like they they had to cancel several shows because no one came and it's just feel for your fellow actor wow well i mean That's like wild. i applaud your mindset towards it because it's not an easy one to to, to muster and it shows how much you love it and how much you care about giving to people so i wanted to ask you about that because you were you were truly i kept saying like billy was the best billy was the best uh, <laughs> well i appreciate that but yeah i mean it's the show wouldn't happen without our stage manager of course <laughs> yeah but uh always give props to your stage manager my friend absolutely, absolutely. as someone who has stage manager should do it Give them love. The give them candy. You're not give them hugs. Them. They deserve so much better than us. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what have you seen? Um, I saw. So I just got back from a ten-day vacation to Disney World. Ooh. It was lovely. It was fantastic. But and it was, as I was like trying to rack my brain of being like, man, I was on vacation. I didn't see anything. I remembered that at Disney in. Um, Disney's Hollywood Studios, there is a Beauty and the Beast, like, stage show. There sure is. And it's like, <laughs> it's, and it's, it's, it's like 20 minutes tops. And they oh. boil down this, like, they boil down this 90-minute fantasy film into 20 minutes of song and dance numbers. Mm. But it's like, there are, there are actors on stage, and mm. they are... Like the ones that have faces, like Belle and uh, Gaston, uh, yeah. and like all the silverware and things that like are actually you can like see are actually actors. They do their live singing. They do all of that. Um, the people in the costumes don't do that. I think they just move and dance along to a track because like when you're in the park, you're trying to do as close to the original movie as possible. Mm. Right. Um, versus like, you know, if you see it on Broadway, like, or if anyone does like a regional production of the stage show, mm. it's a full length thing. There's added songs. There's, you know, some, some different lines. Like, yes, you get some more liberties for it. This is just 20 minutes. We're in, we're out, we're done. They do it like four times a day in the mm-hmm. Florida heat. So like one props to those actors, Mm-hmm. And two, mm-hmm. like it's it's it featured maybe my favorite creative abridging ever, because after they do like, hey, here's Gaston, here's all these things. The the next line is literally, 
through a series of strange circumstances, Belle finds herself at the castle. And, like, it cuts <laughs> out, like, four songs, three characters. Who's her dad? No, he's fucking gone. He's, he doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, no. All right, people. It's just, like... Some writer was like, how do we shorten this? How do we shorten this movie? And it's like, well, some weird things happened. And now she's at the castle. Oh my God. And that guy got like a, a giant promotion. So like, good for him. Nice. Mm-hmm. So that's what I saw. I love that. I love that. But like theme park performers, like good on you. Seriously. That's, oh, a, that's, that's a crazy, crazy job that I cannot imagine doing. Other people that are just doing it because they love it. It makes people yeah, happy. Yeah, really. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, has everyone... Liz? What have yeah, you seen? Yes. What have you seen? <laughs> um, well, I have seen a few things. Um, I actually just finished up a internship with Vineyard Theater. Um, I was a literary intern for them this summer. So I got to see amazing readings and such. So I saw a reading last week. Um, I also got to see A Strange Loop at Playwrights Horizon, which was absolutely gorgeous. Um, Michael R. Jackson has written some of the best uh, music I think I've heard in a while. Um, Just like a completely original musical um, outlining his experience Mm. um, or an experience um, of a fat black queer man um, navigating his life and figuring out where he fits in the world as both an artist and like a person in general. Mm. Um, and I loved it. I felt so fortunate to be able to see it before it closed, um, the day before it closed. Um, and it was just like absolutely stunning. One of those pieces where it's like, you see something off Broadway and you're like, this needs to go to like a larger audience like this needs to be consumed by more people it's just too uh, amazing to pass up um to pass by which like i think is so crazy as like someone who does consume a lot of off-broadway content that doesn't ever make it to broadway um you always think about like the amazing stuff that is playing that's not in like the general mass public eye right um because even though like we're all aware of a place um like you know, uh, New York theater workshop or anything like that. Um, it like, that's still not necessarily in the mainstream as much as mm-hmm. a Broadway theater house. So yeah. It's and like, like, you it's know, crazy. like plays don't get to tour usually, you know, like yeah. if a Broadway musical does well enough, it can go on a national tour and go to all these cities. But like the only mm-hmm. chance that a play really has, even one off Broadway is like, is getting licensed by dramatists or Samuel French or something. And then people buy the rights and just put it on wherever they can. But like, that's, that's nowhere near the exposure that a tour would get. Right. 100%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're seeing and supporting all this, all this off Broadway theater. Cause off Broadway is so, so important. Yes. I know. And you know, I, I had to cram in everything I could while I was in New York this summer, you know, because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I miss it. I miss it. I think Liz through during that experience, you had a really, um, harrowing, disturbing, awful experience, right? Um, um was it through the strange, strange loops? Was it trying to see um, that? that, that it happened? was like a general rush experience. Um, Right. I will not name the theater that I had this experience at just because, like, you know, I don't want to put anyone on blast. Yeah, for sure. sure. Um, yeah. I um, 
it was just really interesting because I, I mean, as a young theater maker, I'm very much, um, a supporter of making theater as accessible as possible. So like, you know, discount tickets and everything, um, if possible. Um, so I found that through my rush experiences, um, I've actually come into contact with a few rush experiences that haven't been as accessible as they could be. I will say I'm in a privileged place. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to rush shows, um, when I can, and I have been, I have been privileged enough to see these shows and like be able to afford them. But one rush experience that I had recently, um, the theater, uh, had it set up that there was a discounted ticket for people under a certain age. However, um, that was a separate wait list than the general rush line. And if, for example, 10 people in that rush line were there for the discounted ticket, if the 11th person wanted to pay full price for the ticket, they actually were able to jump the line and get a ticket before everyone else, um, no matter um, how long the other people had been waiting before them. Um, and I actually found through some research that's not um, an uncommon practice, and a few other theaters do this. Um, and I was just like a little shocked because I'm so used to places like New York Theater Workshop. Um, I will shout them out, New York Theater Workshop, um, who is very much like, you know, first come, first serve. If you're 25 and under or have proof that you are an artist um, or a resident of the West Village, question mark, is near uh, West or East Village. I'm so bad at New York, Corey. Um, I almost said choreography. Choreography. Well. <laughs> geography. It's Again, like that, that just like shows how bad I am at geography. Oh my goodness. I'm really bad at New York geography, guys. People are like, West 42nd and 8th Avenue. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Where? It's a grid system, <laughs> motherfucker. It's a grid system, motherfucker. Literally, every time I get lost in New York, I always just think of that John Mulaney bit. And I'm like, <laughs> Macaulay Culkin is quaking at my inability <laughs> to freaking walk. Um, but yeah, like I, I mean, New York Theater Workshop, they have that policy where it's like first come, first serve. And like I said, 25 and under artist or resident of East West Village. Um, and you get a $25 ticket, um, which is how I was able to see what the Constitution means to me and slave play this past season um, yes. by rushing and getting that discounted ticket. Um, but other theaters, they have the jump the line policy, which I mean, I guess if you are in a place where you can pay full price, like you, you can pay for the 60, 90, $110 ticket, um, you are fine. But I just think it's kind of interesting for younger people or people who are not in a financial, financially capable place to purchase a $90 theater ticket. Um, I just don't think it's it's as accessible as you can make it. And it just makes me question, you know, the motives and um, just like the overall, I guess, statement of theater as a practice yeah. and as a commodity. Um, right. So yeah, yeah I, just, I, I, I get that. I get that theater is a business, and that's like if any company that had one of these practices were to be confronted about it, they would say like, "We need to make money, and like we need to." put butts in seats, but like, I, I just, I mean, and maybe it's the, maybe it's the idealist in me, but like, part of me is like, if you publicize that your front row, however many seats that is 
we will they reserve for for less less privileged individuals or young artists or students or anything like that. If you publicize that and that those and that that is the discount and there's those rates, you will have every single one of those seats filled every single performance. I'm like I flail my microphone cord because I'm passionate about this. But like I and I just feel like if you're not willing to do that, then it's like I don't know. I just feel like that's like a guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I do really um, commend theaters who do have programs. I mean, Players Horizon has this. Vineyard Theater is now going to have this. Shout out, Vineyard. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. Other companies, New York, I already said New York Theater Workshop. Mm-hmm. No. You yes, no, earlier. no, I didn't. New York Theater Workshop's rush policy is great. But um, they ha- some theaters do have young programs where you can sign up, and if you're a student or under a certain age, you can get discounted tickets, yeah. um, which is great. But sometimes just things get in the way of buying that discounted ticket, and so rush is the next best thing. And then if the policy isn't as good as it could be, it just um, creates another barrier. And yeah. it's a little – it's just intriguing. And, like, I recognize that we're all very young theater makers. Um, we're all in our 20s. Um, except for Billy, who just turned 70 years old. Um, <laughs> but um, I like we're all young, and we might have an idealist vision of like what theater is and like what could be. But I mean, I think it's just like it's something to consider and something I definitely um, kind of mull over my brain when I am mm-hmm. consuming theater and checking out companies. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> something to think about. Yeah. Speaking of things to think about, you guys want a question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a question this week. We do. Um, question. This one comes from uh, Katie G uh, from Instagram, um, who's asking, uh, how concerned should I be about getting membership to SAG or AE or acting unions? Oh, boy. Ooh. That's no- um, Repeat that again, Nick. Uh, how concerned should, should people be about getting into unions, like acting unions, or I guess even like Playwriting unions or any yeah. sort of theatrical union, I guess, to, to open it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a tough. I I have an an, I'm coming to an answer about this of late. Something that I've I've been sort of like gathering. Also, also, thank you, Katie G, for this question. Uh, yes, yeah, thank you so much. She, yeah, she's my uh, friend. We just graduated college together at Sarah Lawrence. Um, sending you love. She's one of the more talented, hardworking people I know. Um, and in that vein, I think you have your whole life to be union, but not to be non-union. Um, is what I've been playing with lately. Yeah. Once you're in, you're you're in. You can't do. Yeah. Yeah. You're in. If you do non-union, you can get kicked out. Um, ultimately, it's much more rewarding to just continue to churn out work. Like, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Yeah, like when you don't, really yeah. Think, don't rush it. When you have enough connections, like security, um, enough of a reel or whatever, I'm talking acting-wise in your life, then then I say probably go for it. But it's it's not a it's not a golden ticket, you know. And it's and it's three, especially with equity, it's three thousand dollars out of your pocket that you won't pay pay back for a while. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, uh, a friend of mine asked um, a, re- a couple of directors of regional theater that I've done some work with. Um, they they that they said as like directors of regional theater, they're like, you know, it, it depends on what you on what you want out of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you if you want to just if you want it, like you want your career to be performing, 
then you just want to perform in shows for the rest of your life until you can't do it anymore. And like, and then if their recommendation was like, if, if that's what you want, just don't. Because they were saying, as from like a regional theater perspective, they're like, we only get like five equity roles a season. Mm-hmm. But every other part that we need to cast limiting. is not equity. Like, and we'll still pay you. Right. Not as much, but like if you want more breadth of choice, like there are so many more non-equity roles yeah. than than equity roles. So if it depends on what you want. They also said like, you know, if an opportunity comes along that someone really wants you for mm-hmm. and they say we well, you'll need to join equity, and it's like if that's if it's your thing and you know you that that's a part that you need to play. Mm-hmm. But you need to be equity for it, and like, but it's like sitting in front of you to take it. Then maybe that's the time, right? Mm. I, I, yeah, it's not something you want to rush it. You know, I remember having lots of conversations about that um, when I was in high school because obviously we were in a room full of very young actors who were considering going to college for acting and then potentially moving on to getting equity. So we had a lot of people come through um, who were either alumni of Academy or just had connections to Academy through our wonderful professors. Um, And yeah, I mean, echoing what everyone has said, it really does depend on what you feel is right for you. Um, recognizing that it can end up barring you from opportunities, but it can also open the door to opportunities that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, so it really just depends on where you are in your career and what opportunities you value the most. Yeah. And then like another perk, if you do get equity, um, you can skip a lot of lines into um auditions so like you yeah. you're usually the first to get seen if you're equity you're there mm-hmm. great they can see you right away you don't yeah. have to wait like six hours and then just to tell just for them to say we can't see you right i mean they'll see yeah. you yeah there's definite reasons too um i mean like i hear the best place to be is just be union eligible because it's yeah. not like immediately I'm trying to remember this. It's not like you have to immediately join union once you're eligible. There's like a yeah. have to. There's a like a must. Yeah, there's like a if you meet a certain threshold, they're like, all right, join the union already. God damn it. Yeah. yeah. Equity membership candidacy. Yeah. I also mm-hmm. learned something that might have been obvious to some people, but I missed it, is that if you qualify for equity, you can buy into SAG and vice versa. Yeah. Which is. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that a continuous fee or is it a one time fee? It's a one time fee. Mm. So, I mean, like, at the, that's a lot of money wiped out. That's like. 4, yeah, you got to pay dues twice now. Yeah, that's. 4, Absolutely. It's $4,500, but it's not like Oof, you would then, then have to. You could immediately jump in. You wouldn't have to. Say you got all your SAG vouchers, you were SAG union. You wouldn't have to go through the whole thing again with equity. Yeah. Wow. Rip off the band-aid. Very painful band-aid, but that's... (laughs) A big fucking band-aid. a big fucking band-aid. But I think, like, especially now, especially in our situation, we're young. You don't really want to, like, cut down your choices. Um, Mm -hmm. Just keep making stuff, and, like, I think we'll know when it's right to take that sort of dramatic... It's It's a leap. It's a change. Yeah. Yeah. Liz, have you looked at joining the Dramatist Guild? I have not as of late, um, but it has been something that obviously is on my radar um, through 
knowing of playwrights who I look up to joining and everything. Um, have you, Nick? I, the, the, the reason, the, the only, the only way that the drama skills kind of crossed my radar is that like, if you're not in New York, like that's like there's the local chapters of, of the guild are Absolutely. like a, like a pretty major method of communication for yeah. local playwrights. So I'm kind of working on that. I know the Dramatist Guild has a couple different levels of membership that are different mm-hmm. fees. Mm-hmm. Like they have a student membership, which I looked at a while ago applying for when I was still a student. That's yeah. like, it's like $9 a year or something. Oh. I remember that. I, don't know why I didn't join that. That was definitely on my radar, though. I know. Like, again, I'm also like, why didn't I do that when I could have paid it really cheap? But it's, like, a different level of access to, you know, the source books and, like, where to submit to and, like, you know, who even has open submissions for plays. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's always just been, like, maybe a self-consciousness thing for me where it's, like, I don't have that broad of a canon and is my work even good enough for it? But obviously there will be a time and place where that might be the right move for me. Maybe I need to look into it again. Oh my goodness. There's there also, there were so many things that start to like muddle in my mind. So I kind of forget like what applies to what. Oh no, I totally, I totally understand. But yeah. so let's, uh-huh. let's Liz, let's agree in an auditory form, an, an audio handshake that we will both look into that. <laughs> I like it. We will. Like we it. will indeed, Nicholas. Yeah. That sounds good. So, and also, I mean, there are opportunities like for playwrights, dramaturgs, and readers for like new play exchange, which isn't necessarily a like union or anything, but it is just a way to get your work out in a very accessible and affordable way. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, what a beautiful service. So, mm-hmm. Katie, I hope that this sort of answered your question about where we are all at. But if I if I was you, um, just keep doing the the things you're doing. Keep making. Worry about that later. Yeah, things will line up as uh, time goes by. Absolutely. Yeah. Have yeah. Awesome. Bye, Katie. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> You're done with the podcast now. Your time is over. The podcast is done. <laughs> well, well now cut. it's time for a new segment, which I think we're all very excited for. <laughs> Friends, join me in entering Eric Watch. Eric dun, dun. Watch. <laughs> First of all, I would like to give a special happy birthday shout out to Eric Fredrickson. Happy the, birthday, Eric. What day? Happy birthday, Eric. The myth, the adorable legend. It so was, for those not in the know, Eric Fredrickson is kind of our mythic figure friend. Yes. <laughs> Andre Andre and Eric were roommates through our semester at NTI. And Andre, at one point you said to me, you said, I feel like I, I dreamt Eric. <laughs> you said, I feel like I, I, I conjured this figure in my brain. I, you know, it's literally like Elder Price and Elder Cunningham when they first lived together in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Where it's like, he's like serenading me about like, don't worry, little buddy. And he's cuddling with me. And I'm like, I can't believe this is real. Why is that the best description I've ever heard? Well, and, and just so everyone knows. Eric would be a perfect Elder Cunningham. Perfect. Yes, he would. Yes. Oh, my God. I want that now. Uh, for, for me, the last time Eric was on my radar, and Eric will eventually be on the podcast. Oh, it'll, be, it'll be the, 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 the Eric Watch special. Oh, when he's done traveling the world. Yeah, when he's done, because he was in Denmark. Yeah, he was doing Hamlet. Doing I'm Hamlet. His Instagram right, is on, I'm on his Facebook right now. He's at uh, Elsinore, Denmark. Um, so crazy ain't that just the way yeah Yeah. he's 
what what uh, Eric is one of the more wonderful, joyful, silly people I've ever met. He's very oh, yeah. talented. He loves what he's doing, and sometimes he'll just uh, be in. He just makes shit all the time. It's so yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's just doing it. He's doing a his, very entrepreneurial his, mind. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I would love for this for this segment to be like it, when Eric's not on to be like almost like a Confucius level of like what have we learned from Eric today? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like and for me, like my first thing is that like he's like doing Hamlet in in Elsinore, like where it's said. And for me, that's just like go yeah. to the source, site specific, yeah. find where it comes from. And take it and then learn from it. Yeah. I will, I do want to say I'm very jealous of – you guys have seen his website, right? Yeah. He has a uh, – like an artist's statement from Rachel Jett as like his header. Did you see oh, this? Oh, goodness. I somehow Oops. got this. He like, like, a, like with this whole thing. And I was like, how the hell did you get the Rachel Jett to give you something like that? <laughs> but I think – it totally captures who he is. He's like a he. She, he, she describes him as an old soul of the theater who lives for theater. Um, he is adorable. He is a little gassy. <laughs> <laughs> he does have the world's worst alarm clock. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay. And he doesn't even wake up to. He sets it six times in a day. And he sleeps. <laughs> Oh my God, it's so. It, there's so many times in my life at, at, at NCI where I'd wake up, it'd be like four in the morning. I'd be tired, I'd be sad. Um, <laughs> I'd open my eyes and I'd look in the corner and I'd see Eric watching The Office. He's got a big thing of Domino's and a giant, 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 giant can of, um, of Fanta. <laughs> the dude was just a legend and then he wouldn't wake up for yoga. <laughs> And he'd complain of stomach problems. And I'd be like, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While I can't wait to have Eric on the podcast, I also want to push it back as far as possible so we can just keep cultivating the mythos. Oh, it's going to be a big pre- event, I think. <laughs> yeah. Just start creating different rumors about him. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. But he's one of the most supportive people out there. That oh, he's the greatest. Absolutely. He's one of the most supportive people I've ever met. Yeah. Talk about a guy that loves what he does. Yeah. Yeah. I love Eric Fredrickson. Yeah. I love Just Eric Fredrickson. Just going to say you're in the podcast. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's our Eric watch. That's our intro to Eric that is, watch. That will conclude our Eric watch. This week's that beautiful. Eric watch. Uh, yeah. Well, I wanted to jump into a new segment of talking about a new play of the week. So my new play of the week is going to be... Taken over by Liz. Eventually, I'll do this segment, but it will be Liz. Um, and Liz will talk about what's coming up next for you. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, well, I am currently working on a new play called Icarus and Amelia Earhart Had Tea This Morning. Um, it is going to be going up at the Tank um, in New York on August 18th at 2 p.m. for a staged reading. Um, and this piece is definitely... Like my baby, um, this is one of the first full-length p- plays that I have written that I have not immediately regretted, if that makes sense. <laughs> because I think, um, I mean, anyone who writes, you work on something and you like slave over it and you spend all this time and you're like, yes. 
And then you either read it through with other people or you read it through yourself and you're just like, wait a second. Um, what? Like, what was this? Um, which is kind of how I felt about semicircle rubber band, which is another full length play that I wrote. Um, and I workshopped it briefly at NTI, um, and at university of Connecticut. And that play kind of became a hmm moment for me. Mm. But I think any play you write is still valuable because you are still exercising your creative ability. Um, but Icarus and Amelia Earhart had tea this morning, um, which I abbreviate to Icarus and Amelia, um, is a play about um, Icarus and Amelia Earhart meeting on the Bermuda Triangle after Amelia Earhart has crashed there, um, which has been rumored ever since she disappeared um, on her journey. And Icarus meets her there after falling into the ocean um, because he flew too close to the sun. And the two of them decide to fix Amelia Earhart's plane. Um, Awesome. Meanwhile, you find out that that story is actually a book being written by a character named Amy, and her and her friend Isaac are 20-somethings figuring their life out, um, as we all are. Um, And as the two groups try to support each other in their lives, Amy is trying to write a book. Isaac is trying to win the love of a boy who is a nude model for his figure-drawing class. Um, And as Icarus and Amelia are trying to fix this plane, the two groups are trying to support each other and finding that they're possibly using their counterpart to escape their own problems. So it's really an exploration of self-sabotage and if people can be solutions, which you will have to see the play to find out the answer to that. Um, Spoiler alert, it's no. Um, But you'll see why. You'll see why it's no. Um, But yeah, this has been a really special process because I workshopped it with so many amazing people so far. It's currently on its seventh draft. um, And... I really feel like I am just exercising parts of myself that I don't normally exercise and trying different te- techniques and different um, dialogue styles and world building styles and everything. And this process has just been very special because I find myself having very engaging conversations with anyone that I hand this play off to um, because like I said, sometimes my plays are a call out to be like, does anyone else feel like this? And maybe because a lot of my friends are in my age range, but, um, the answer has seemingly been yes. And it's been great to talk to people about their own experiences with self-sabotage and, um, imposter syndrome and all sorts of things, which I am so intrigued by and just want to know more of because it's just such a universal experience that isn't always talked about. Um, so that's my new play of the week. That's what I've been working on. Oh, Liz, that's so exciting. I really wish I could go see it. I'm cause doing those like those like dual narratives kind of operating parallel to each other, but informing each other, you do that specific thing. So fucking well, thank <laughs> you. It's so good at it. Um, thank so, you. Everyone listening who can get to New York, please go see it for me since I can. I'll be there. Live stream it. <laughs> please. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. I wish, dude. I wish. <laughs> um, Liz, could you give us your um, anything like um, people could find your work at? You said Plug like, myself? Yeah, give us your plug. Yes, please. All right. So you can find me on... Instagram and Twitter at Liz Mangan. Um, my name on Twitter is lizard. Um, courtesy of 
all my friends at NTI and friends in general. Um, and you can find me at lizmangan.com. Mm. You can find me on New Play Exchange under the name Liz Mangan, where you will find a draft of Icarus and Amelia. You will find um, OK, and you will find another play of mine, which I can't remember which one is up there. I haven't checked back in a while. Oh, I believe Borealis. Yes, I have to Borealis. check back. I have to check back. But yeah, so that's where you can find me. Um, it's my Soch. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yay. Hell yeah. Liz, thank you so much for recording with us today. Yeah, Liz. Thank you, guys. I'm glad it finally came together. It was a little rocky in the beginning. <laughs> it turns out my, having my headphones four, weren't working. Having no. four people uh. call in onto one uh, Facebook call has with GarageBand has rocky um, tendencies. Who knew? Yeah. Wow. Who knew that people who are new at this would have struggles? <laughs> In this economy. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Stumble Johns. Please submit questions, feedback uh, at stumblejohnspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at stumblejohns. Um, we're on Spotify and iTunes and all sorts of other places where you get podcasts. Um, rate us, play we've, us. We've also, uh, also started a Facebook page. Oh, excellent. We did? Great. Yeah. I did, oh, I did it like three like minutes it. ago. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, yeah. find us on Facebook. This is great. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Great. Um, thank you to Petticoat for our theme song. It's so good. I love listening to it every time I edit the podcast. And thank you to Corinne Stanley at Music Box Owl for our logo. Yes. Ooh. Anything else anyone wants to plug? That is nothing here. <laughs> great. All right. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye guys. guys. Thank you. No, nah, man, I've seen the guys you live with. That plant's dead on arrival. <laughs> Welcome to the next episode of the Stumble Johns. <laughs> with hey. that intro. Hey. My name is Nick. My name is Andre. Hey, my name is Billy. And our guest this week is... Liz? Liz? Liz Mangan? Liz? Liz? Liz, Liz Mangan, everybody. Yay. Hey! Should we... At Liz. <laughs> I'm going to type in this chat. Liz? Where are you at? Liz just I thought I was like when is I thought Liz She sees the messages Is she recording? Is she saying something? No we cannot hear me Oh we can't hear you Um So Liz how'd you get started in this whole this whole business of of making theater? (laughs) I wait in eager anticipation There's the UG All right Billy, read the messages while she types it as a dramatic reading. <laughs> I'll do it. We're making a we're making an audio an we're audio play. An O'Neill play.